0: Good evening, good afternoon, good morning, welcome to The Truth with Bill. Hi everyone, welcome back. Uh, That was a quick week, here we are again. Uh, Last week we put everything together that we covered this far. Uh, We saw how things connect, we reinforced how individuals in any structure can enter the integral structure of consciousness, and not only from another structure, but From different cultural or religious backgrounds, uh, Christ, Krishna, Buddha, I also offered a personal growth story in regards to driving and how to cope with negative situations. Uh, We talked about yoga pants and how the use of the term has allowed the comfortability of understanding. Uh, Keep in mind the term's excessive use comes from a very materialistic eye in the mental structure. We can also say with comfortability comes a higher empathetic value. Um, But how can we put a value on empathy? How does one gauge empathy? Uh, Is empathy a requirement for individuals who are defined as, quote, ready uh, for the next level structure of consciousness? Uh, It seems very clear to me that empathy is a component uh, that would be lacking in the mental structure. Uh, the mental structure encompasses the I, the me, the ego. Uh, and, and if that's the case, how can we expect it to have a high level of empathetic understanding? Uh, and, and with that, there's no real measure of empathy. But similar to our, similar to our discussion on love um, and how love can have certain requirements uh, for us to love, Uh, Empathy kind of works in the same way. So like we said before, um, uh, we we love many different people in our lives. Um, But the amount of the amount at which we love individuals in our lives is dependent on certain kind of requirements. Um, So we certainly don't love our, our friends the same way that, you know, we love our mother and father. Uh, There are certain things that are needed for us to love people more or less, you know, it all depends. And empathy uh, works the same way too. Um, So empathy has certain requirements, a fourth dimensional sense of empathy uh, would be well maybe it's easier. um, Maybe it's easier just to start with a third dimensional sense of empathy. So uh, I'll run through some scenarios and um, just see what you think um, after each one and and how you feel. Uh, So the first. A neighbor, a neighbor of yours, uh, is driving home drunk from a bar, and on his way home, he hits the family dog. Hits the family dog with his car. And what are your feelings and thoughts with that? And where is your empathetic value with that short scenario? Probably very low. Uh, Next scenario, a neighbor who's driving home drunk from a bar that you know, and as does the rest of your neighborhood, that he has recently lost his wife. So he's driving home drunk from a bar. You and everyone else in the neighborhood knows that he has lost his wife. Recently. And on his way home, he hits your dog. And now your feeling is a little different with this scenario. Because you know a little bit more. You're able to empathize with this neighbor more than you were before in the first scenario. And all it took was a little more information about this person. It wasn't even a question of of whether or not you would empathize with him, because you did. It just took having more knowledge. It, It changed your response. The action stayed the same. Everything played out the same way. But the response is different based on the amount of knowledge you've had. So now the third scenario. A neighbor is driving home drunk from a bar. You know, and as does the rest of your neighborhood, that he has recently lost his wife. You see him for exactly what and who he is, a fraction of the divine that is lost. You know that if you talk with him, you could help him. He hits your dog and gives you the opportunity to do so. Now, this scenario is a little different. Of course, I, I've added a little bit more in there in the sense that you know you can help him. So what I mean by you know that you could help him is that you know exactly what to say that could pull him out of this hole of depression um, from losing his significant other. You, you know exactly what to say, what to do, and it'll like turn the light switch on. And now him hitting your dog gives you the opportunity to do it. It's not even about your dog. The dog is now the opportunity. And remember, I I never said that the dog uh, was passed away or even hurt. I just said that he hit your dog. So, (laughs) nothing happened with the dog. The dog's okay, I promise. In every one of those scenarios, right? Um, So... uh, what else is interesting, I, I ran some of these scenarios from, uh, ran them by some friends of mine, um, and I asked what, what they thought, and one of my friends, he responded, if I knew I could help, I wouldn't have waited for him to hit my dog, and he said that, and of course, you know, I'm smiling ear to ear, because I'm like, yes, exactly, why would you wait for that opportunity, why would all of us wait for that opportunity. We can make that opportunity at any time, at any time. All it takes is a certain amount of empathy, which means it takes a certain amount of knowledge of that individual or individuals. And once we have that, we can empathize with them. It it happens all the time. It's a very natural kind of thing. And uh, just a little further, I I know, I know at one point or another, we've all had conversations with children, right? And, uh, and, and this conversation with a with child, what I mean is when a child is about to do something that they shouldn't do, you're kind of talking that child down from doing it. Um, and I, I remember being in grade school, and I had a friend of mine, his name was Chris, and he acted out quite a bit. And he was always getting in trouble. Uh, but you know, he was my friend. And I remember one time he was ready to do something. And I forget the exact situation or scenario. Uh, but the teacher knew. And she was like, yeah, Chris, don't do that. And, you know, I, I was a good friend. And I'm sitting next to him. And I said, Oh, Chris, you know, if you do this, this is going to happen. And if you do this, this is going to happen. And <laughs> as I went down the list, nothing really clicked for Chris until finally something did. And when it did, he, he was like, yeah, you're right. I guess I won't do that. And whatever it was he didn't do. And I remember the teacher being very impressed with my ability to talk Chris down out of the situation. And that's actually what I, why I really remember that that situation and scenario. Um, and as a child talking him down, I mean, I knew that that sooner or later what I was saying would sink into Chris's head. I didn't know what exactly was going to sink in, but I knew something would. And I just kind of kept firing away until eventually he was like, okay. More than likely, you know, he probably got tired of hearing me and just gave up and figured it wasn't worth it. Um, (laughs) But in any event, he stopped. Uh, So I think, though, that, that, that if we know if we know what's going on with someone, if we can empathize with them, uh, we could find out whatever it is that is causing that and show them what it is and and, and change their view of that or or change their response. Um, So obviously adults are a little different than children. Uh, Adults carry a lot more baggage. We're more suspicious. Uh, based on past events, et cetera, et cetera. But I think what I'm getting at is, is like I said, that there's always a way that something will click for someone else, um, and we just have to be empathetic enough to try. And most times, these changes they don't happen overnight. And as a matter of fact, we may see ourselves saying the same thing to the same person time and time again. But there is something to be said for persistence and you may be the only person in that individual's life that is persistently trying to help and at some point that individual realizes just that and then help can be had from that alone. We never know what will click for someone else and we absolutely will never know if we don't try. Um, so uh, Earlier this week, um, one of my friends came to me. He was having a rough time. Uh, He and his partner had ended their relationship, and he was asking for advice. And I I could only tell him what I've experienced and how those experiences have shaped my current relationship and and how I've seen relationships. Um, So I, I explained, when I was old enough to have mature relationships, I had already had in my head what kind of relationship I was looking for. I knew what I had to build to get it, but it never worked out. And not only did it never work out, but when it was over, it was really over. Like, it it hit me hard. And time and time again, this would happen. And of course, at the end, I would question what what went wrong. I continued to see one thing that did not change. And that was what I had in my head of what the relationship for me would look like. The way in which a relationship looks like to me is based on how I've observed relationships as a youth. The, the kinds of relationships I was exposed to, etc., um, etc. Cetera, et cetera. Uh, there are a ton of external forces that shape and alter what we think is quote good or quite or i'm sorry quote right for us and all of this is revolved around the i because it was the i that saw myself in the relationship and and those words it's it's my relationship i am in the relationship me my own um these are very much the mental structure of consciousness uh and and the relationship I envisioned for myself was part of my ego it, it was part of myself that I wanted myself to be it was an it was an illusion that I created or wanted to create and when it didn't work I felt defeated and, and hurt and more than defeated my precious ego of who I made myself to be is now bruised And it, it took a number of relationships for me to come to, to terms with what was going on and, and what I was doing. And, you know, after something ends and, and you feel some kind of pain and suffering, I, I think we all kind of look at it and go, well, gee, what, what happened? What happened? And we look back and at first it's probably easier for us to blame someone else. We always tend to blame someone else first because it's easy and we tend to do that. So we go through all of the things that this individual did wrong. And then sooner or later, as we're picking that individual apart, we come back to us because it always takes two, right? And then we come back to us and and then our focus comes to us. And we go, oh God, it was me. It was me. And then it all comes piling onto you. And then you're thinking what you did wrong and and, and all of this. And then when, when you're done dragging yourself through the mud... Now you're kind of looking at both of you together and what you both kind of did wrong. And, and it is this huge energy waster because we don't really realize what exactly we've held on to. And what we've held on to was the illusion. The illusion of what we want to put into a relationship and how we define it. So when I finally came to terms with this, I changed my expectations, my wants, of what the perfect relationship for me should be. The perfect relationship in a fourth dimensional sense is a we. It is not a relationship with me that that or I'm sorry, um what a relationship with me is or like what a relationship or I'm sorry, what my partner's relationship would be with them is because that's the other thing too. Whatever ideas you have whatever ideas you have of a relationship Uh, your partner does also. So you're both having these illusions. Um, so, uh, so it's, it's, it is a way a fourth dimensional way. It's a bond as friends and it is our efforts to work together to make this physical life easier on each of us. Let, Let me repeat that. It is our efforts to work together to make this physical life easier. For each other. It is not the, the expectation of children, a house with a picket fence, a Sunday car, vacations to distance lands. No, it is simply the time with another fraction of the divine sharing the wonder of this world. And, and it doesn't necessarily, I mean, and, and speaking of that, sharing with, with this world, that doesn't necessarily have to be a partner this could be anyone and everyone in your life because if we're looking at everyone as a fraction of the divine in this sounding we then it is just like that and and what a wonderful thought that is to have a fraction of the divine just like yourself with you experiencing this world and here you have the opportunity to give a physical hug to the divine Hugs for everyone. Hugs for the divine. That should be a shirt. So, uh, uh, let's back up a little bit. Uh, backing up, we, we saw that we have our own ideas of, of what a relationship should be. And those ideas are based on what we think is best or what we think we want. And it's all very I. And then the other person we're having a relationship with is experiencing these same things. And then we're trying to come together and make what we think a relationship should be, but what we think is different individually, work. And of course it's not going to work. That, that's not. And if it does work as, as defined as standing the test of time, um, we'd have to question the quality of it. Um, that that that's a very uh, that's a very stressful kind of thing to to live in uh, to live up to expectations through an illusion that that just isn't isn't accurate and and with this I, I think we could come to expectations so expectations for future events are the ego. Expectations for anything are the ego, and, and why would that be? What is an expectation? Well, an expectation is you seeing your future self doing something or accomplishing something that defines the you you are trying to make yourself be. That in and of itself shows that it shows that it is the ego and it is not the real you. It is when our relationships with expectations end, we feel so hurt. We are hurt over it ending, but most of our hurt is self-inflicted because it is hurt that comes from being smacked with the reality that this part of yourself, your ego, is not true. And any time our ego gets hurt or bruised or questioned, it hurts us. It is ground shaking to us. We get offended. I, I mean, think about it. Last week we talked about um, uh, driving, right? I said, you know, when people would cut me off or drive inappropriately or what have you, it would bother me. And I, I came to terms with that. I started out as, as saying Hail Marys um, just to kind of get into a more Buddha mind, Buddha consciousness so that uh, I'm not thinking of, of what is going on, what these actions are going And if my mind's somewhere else, then I can't have a negative reaction to this action, right? So in doing that, in doing that, when I would get upset, it it was like they were harming my ego by cutting me off. And how, how is that? How's somebody cutting me off, hurting my ego? Well, if I drive... If I think that I drive uh, the best, I am the best driver, the most cautious driver, I don't cut people off, I use every turn signal, etc., etc., and I, I see myself as driving the best. And then this other driver comes along and cuts me off. Driving not like I am driving, driving not like the expectation I have for every other driver. And what did I just say? The expectation I have for every driver. I expect everyone to drive the same way I do. And when they don't, it upsets me. It upsets me because it hurts my ego. So our hurt, our hurt is self-inflicted. So if our expectations were how we played them out in our heads, in the way of a relationship, it wouldn't have ended, right? Because our expectations for relationships are that this relationship is going to last forever. And, and we take it very personally when it ends. And it's not just with relationships. We, we have expectations through school through careers, um, even the types of jobs we have, our whole life is composed of expectations that we use to define who we are as individuals. And when they fail, because no expectation plans out the way it is in our head, we're hurt. And we compensate that hurt with more with more hurt, because we, we, we look for something else to fill, to fill that expectation. We find another expectation to fill it. And it's this constant cycle. So where do your expectations come from? Largely from your family, from society as a whole, individuals telling you that, This is the right path. You you need to do this, this, and this. And you're expected to do this, this, and this. Because this will lead to a better life or a wealthy life or an easy life or, or, or whatever. And think about your personal expectations. Where they've come from and how they've hurt you. In my bio for this, for this podcast, it specifically says I have a Bachelor of Arts in Creative Writing and a Bachelor of Science in Environmental Science. I don't do, I don't make money at, at either one of those degrees. I mean, granted, they help. They certainly help with this podcast and have helped me in life. But, but what I went to school for exactly was, is, is not what I'm doing. And at a certain point, I, I mean, of course, I, I went into it with these expectations. And then you begin to see these expectations that you've had in your head, not plan out or not work out the way you thought for whatever reason. And then you're faced with coping with that. And how you cope with that determines the kind of person you're going to become when you come out of that. So if, if you get stuck And and whatever expectation you have built up in your head, you could be lost for a very, very long time. And and, and then it becomes depression. Um, You you know, you, you just don't want to do anything. All because of some silly expectation that was never real to begin with. We go through great lengths, great lengths to prove who we are to ourselves and to others. And we never really take into consideration what these great lengths cost us. And we see it in the way that we teach and grade and graduate our children. It's all proof of the ego. Teaching today is memorization. I got an A, I'm an A student, I got a B, I'm a B student, I received an F, I'm an F student. These definitions that we set our children up with fuels the illusion. And it absolutely does. If you are an A student, then you have an A in memorization. If you have a B student, you have a B in memorization. That's all. In mathematics, students have the most difficult time answering word problems in mathematics. This is because word problems in mathematics are concepts. It is how well you have learned the concepts in math And know when and how to use them and why. And across the board, students from all over the world have trouble, have trouble with these kinds of problems because the way in which we teach our children is not concepts. And (laughs) when we are finished with our schooling, we are then expected to go out into the real world. The real world uses very little memorization, very little. The real world is is concepts and knowing how and when to use them and why. And that's not taught. In In any avenue of education it is not taught it is all memorization english this is how this is how language works these are the rules that apply um, some rules apply for some things and some don't and that's it go use it science the same way rarely are we ever asked to use the concepts we have learned or rather Memorized. Schooling, fourth dimensional education, should be not memorization, but understanding and learning the concepts and being tested on using them, going out and using them. If you're learning algebra, you need to start measuring some steps. Right. Come up with a problem to add more steps and how it would fit to this door that's two feet higher. Figure out where each point of each step should be. Use the concepts you've learned. And we've gotten away with that. The structure of consciousness has taken us away from it. It's taken us away from it because it's based on an I, on an ego. In the kind of education system we have, it is very much the I, the ego. Everyone has a grade point average. Your grade point average defines who you are as a student. From that, we can put you in different categories, and based on those categories, you can go here, here, and here. Or these options will be now open to you. all based on memorization. Really? That's the kind of education we're supporting? Is how well you can memorize something? That, that's not intelligence to me. I can memorize anything. It, it just give me enough time. The ability to understand concepts is something different. And applying them Is even more different knowing when to apply them so this is a very very mental structural education system in which we we have raised our children and um, and it hurts us and and another interesting way um, which was brought up by one of our listeners is is our diets and our food And our food is very interesting because our food, too, has gone through the mental structure of consciousness. Um, So there is something to be said uh, for becoming vegan and the choice to do so within the mental structure. Uh, So when we have a pet dog or cat and we hear of other cultures who see these animals as food... Um, which, by the way, is no different than our own chickens and cows, we judge them. We think we can never eat our pets. We couldn't eat them because they're on our love scale, right? Sometimes more than some humans that we know. Uh, But because they're on our love scale, we could never imagine eating them. If we took the opportunity to make a cow our pet from youth to adulthood, our feeling about eating beef would change it would change it it would have to change and and i and what's what's funny is that when when i think of a farmer right i think of you know a, a man that that works outside his whole life he's he's kind of a you know real tough guy a man of little words you know uh has a nice wife and a big family of kids running around he wakes up every morning to go tend the farm and he has some livestock uh, the farm supports himself and his family and maybe he makes some money selling a portion of his crop or some of his cattle or what have you and and it's, it's very small scale the, the way in which i envision farming you know uh, and i think a lot of us envision farmers and farming like that um, but farming is not like that at all farming is very industrialized and don't get me wrong there are farmers and, and people uh, who grow their own things and it's it's a small amount and some of them are able to sell those uh, but no I'm talking about the big farming 90% of farms are owned by industrialized farming um, and, and it's it's very different and, and we'll get right back to that so so if you had a cow, a pet cow, you would probably feel differently about eating beef. And and personally for me, I am not a full-fledged vegan. I, I like turkey and, and chicken, and I drink some milk on the weekends. And uh, But I do make a conscious choice not to eat beef or pork. And that choice did come from a sense of empathy. And, and what I really empathized with is, is that the way in which we raise and eat our animals is is very unnatural and i i could not imagine i couldn't imagine being a cow held in a pen where i cannot move literally cannot move and watch as my family was taken away hearing their cries and smelling their death it would be a life of fear and agony and this is what we are consuming I'm willing to bet that fear, pain, and suffering create certain hormones or they alter hormones that change what we are ingesting and change it in a negative way. No natural creature on this planet tortures its food for its lifetime and then eats it. As a matter of fact, most carnivores in the wild kill their kill as fast as possible. We are the only creatures on this planet that torture its food from the beginning of its life until we are ready to consume it. And there is something wrong with that. And I know, how, how can you still eat chicken and turkey? Well, let me share you a story. Um, uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> let me share you a story. Let me share a story with you uh, that one of my Serbian friends, Georgia, told me and he first came to this country he says to me Billy why are your onions broke and I said broke he said yes your onions do not work and of course I, I told him I don't understand he said Billy I buy a big onion to cook with I cut it and no one cries not even me in my country onions are very small and one cut and the whole house will cry. Your onions are broke. What I didn't realize is that our vegetables and fruit have been through the mental structure of consciousness. And like our entertainment center last week, our fruits and veggies have been made bigger, better, and brighter. So maybe not exactly like our entertainment center, but you understand what I mean. It is... It's, for to, it's to sell it. It's not for, for quality. It, it is simply just to sell it. So our fruits and veggies are bigger and brighter, and they also happen to be tasteless. Uh, and the bigger and brighter and entice shoppers to buy. And, and this is our, our food. This is something we think is good or holds qualities as being good by being big and, and bright and even sprinkled with water to mimic dew, uh, almost like a Coke commercial, um, but it's not. And our, our vegetables, our fruits, it is, it's just like our, our junk food manufacturers. There's a science to junk food, right? It, it has a crunch factor. There's psychological testing that goes on um, with, with when you're eating the junk food. Does it crunch enough? Does it make you want more? Is it salty enough? Is it sugary enough? All of these kinds of things so that you keep eating the junk food. And we're under this impression that this only happens with junk food. No. It's happening with all of our food. Everything we consume has has been like, like an item that someone's trying to sell. And they'll make that item look fantastic. They are using every biological avenue you use to define the illusion they are using, creating this illusion for you. I mean, if, if that's not proof that everybody knows that there is an illusion, I don't know what is. You have people that know they can make a profit on the way in which you interpret this world. So they work at the things and alter the things that change the way you would interpret what you're eating what you're drinking what you're wearing what you're sleeping on what you're driving everything 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 around you in this world has been brought to you by people understanding that it's an illusion and you perceive this illusion through certain avenues of your biological body, your eyes, ears, sense of smell, taste, etc. and they use these against you so that they could sell more. And we are all falling for it. And it's happening with everything, including our food, what we put into our bodies that nourish us. And I, I remember being a, a kid and eating an apple. And I would take a bite, then I would take a second bite, and I'd look at my first bite, and my first bite was all brown, right? The apple was already rotting, that fast. Now, I could eat a whole apple, and it's not changing color at all. I mean, something's going on. And I have a little kitten that wants to play with me, but she has to hold on. So, uh, for this week, um, I think some homework is in order. Sweetheart, we'll play in one second Yes, we will I know, she's saying hi to everyone This is uh, Sophia Raquel Uh, Sophia Raquel, everyone on podcast Yep, hi Okay, so I think some homework is in order this week Remember, uh, we spoke about my driving And I would pray every time Someone did something that affected me (laughs) And those prayers were not for for other drivers, I mean, although they are, um, I see you, um, but they were for myself to, to put me in that kind of Buddha sense, right? And I, I think our, our homework today, or our homework for this week rather, is anytime we come in contact with a person that says or does something that we disagree with, um, and with that disagreement we, we have a certain kind of reaction. So let's stop there and not think about what they are saying or doing or how it's bothering us. But instead, let us think that whatever that is, it has to be a cry for help from somewhere. And when we've gotten to that cry for help or, or where that cry of help may have come from, we could put ourselves in that position of that individual. And then let's think about the incident and what was said or done to us, and and I think we may find that one, it's it's easier to let it go. Two, it probably doesn't affect us, and three, we find more ways of helping other people, and simple things to say. So let's try that. So so this week um, we're going to walk around with our Zen minds, and when we come in contact with individuals that that a negative reaction kind of ensues by what's said or done. We're not going to give in to that reaction. We're just going to think about it, where that other individual is coming from, and see what happens, see where we are. Well, thank you all for listening. I appreciate every one of you. Um, As always, if this podcast sparks a conversation with a friend, a loved one, uh, please share it. Uh, I love all you guys. Thank you for listening. Thank you guys for... um, just giving me so much to talk about uh, all week long. Uh, All of my friends and co-workers and loved ones. um, I I, I just love it. Thank you for making this this podcast possible. Uh, I love each and every one of you. I will see you next week. Thank you all. Have a great week.